You're listening to Gypsick Between the Lines, where we have real discussions about real issues in public safety. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. I'm Megan Etheridge with Gypsick, and today we're joined by Brad Owens, Sean Elmore, and Chance Howell. Thank you for all joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. Good to be here. Good to be here. All right. And today we're actually going to be talking about impaired driving. And we're joined by all of you because you have vast experience and knowledge on the topic. Before we start, would each of you like to share about your experience? Sure. I'll go first. Uh, My name is Brad Owens. I'm a staff instructor here at the training center. I am the field sobriety coordinator for the state. So I coordinate all the field sobriety classes here. I'm a DRE, which is a drug recognition expert, a drug recognition expert instructor, field sobriety instructor as well got about 17 years in law enforcement so far okay thank you my name's sean elmore uh with the georgia department of natural resources i am our chief standardized field sobriety instructor for dnr as well i'm also a dre dre instructor standardized field sobriety instructor been in law enforcement working on 22 years and I'm Chance Howell with the Georgia Department of Public Safety Motor Carrier Division, currently assigned to their training division. I am over motor carriers field sobriety and their A-Ride. I'm also a DRE, DRE instructor and field sobriety instructor. I've been in law enforcement 13 years. Well, thank you all so much for joining us today. And I know that we want to talk about impaired driving and we want to talk about some of the BUI and then HUI, all of that fun stuff today. Do you want to start us off on telling us a little bit about the differences in the normal DUIs versus BUIs? Sure. Normally when, you know, just a municipal officer, county sheriff's deputy, things like that, when we're out patrolling, we typically have two types of authority that we use to pull over a vehicle or stop a vehicle. One is articulable reasonable suspicion, of course, which is just a list of things that a reasonable officer knows and can see and can deduce from that point that criminal activity is taking place, has taken place, or maybe is about to take place. And then we also have probable cause, which is just a straight out, just violation of state law. We have to have at least one of those things to actually, you know, stop that car legally. And then typically when we approach a vehicle, we we might have some driving behavior, some weaving, maybe crossing a line, striking an object, something like that. When we approach a vehicle, you can usually smell things, whether it's, you know, evidence of drug use or evidence of alcohol use. You can smell the odor of an alcoholic beverage on somebody's breath. And normally at that point, that's when we decide to ask the, the driver to exit the vehicle. And then we go through our normal uh, field sobriety battery, testing battery, which is the three tests that we use typically. And that's one of the big things where the difference is in between somebody who non-motor carrier, non-DNR, you know, just a municipal officer or a county sheriff's deputy is the way in which we can actually make contact with vehicles. And, I mean, you guys would know the best. You know, as Brad was saying, he was talking about articulable reasonable suspicion and probable cause. Where it differs with motor carrier, our main job focus is commercial motor vehicles. And with that, we hold a federal certification to be able to do inspections. And by holding that certification, the federal government says any motor carrier is for hire on the highway. That is reason enough for them to be stopped and inspected due to a safety inspection. So we do not have to have probable cause or articulable reasonable suspicion to stop. We stop based on just to do random safety inspections, and that's the way we make contact with our drivers. And that's the same same thing with DNR. We have in in law we can stop a boat just to do a safety inspection anywhere on any of the state waterways. 
uh, to stop them. Now, we try to have some type of articulable reasonable suspicion or probable cause to stop the boat. I'll, we'll help out in our case, but, you know, we have it in law ourselves. We can stop we can stop the boat pretty much for just to do a safety inspection. And as far as the HUIs you were talking about earlier, Megan, the hunting under the influence, we can go upon private properties to make sure people are in compliance with the laws. And when we do that, we run up on subjects that are impaired by drugs and alcohol both. A good question that a few of our listeners may not know, how do you decide where you're looking for you know, anybody that might be HUI? Just in general, you know, mo- most game wardens, we're hunters. So we know where hunters are going to be. Just and, and the way I've always done it in my time is where would I hunt at? You know, um, and of course the law allows us to go upon private property without probable cause, without reasonable suspicion. And it all falls under the open fields doctrine. Mm-hmm. So we do that. And I mean, we'll ride around, see where there's a lot of traffic coming in out of a hunting club. We get complaints from citizens to know where people are at. And, and I'll tell you, one of our main hunting under the influence times are dove fields. Hmm. Um, and you can hear shots, shots all over the place. I mean, I've, I've walked on a dove field at nine 30 in the morning and walked around the corner to do sitting there smoking a joint and has a meth pipe right beside him that he's been smoking meth. So, you know, it, it, unfortunately it happens and we say it from our side just like the the road guys say gasoline and alcohol and drugs don't mix well neither does gunpowder and alcohol and drugs so i'm assuming with the hunting under the influence it's similar to what they do do with dui after they've stopped somebody but when i mean is that correct yes we can do that and and one thing that we do with our game wardens is we do train them on the standardized field sobriety the nitsa three test battery as do all other as brad was talking earlier about your local municipalities your state troopers your mccd guys all law enforcement goes through that standardized field sobriety then we add in the into there a seated battery okay that is done in in a marine environment that is that is um validated by the NASBLA, which is the national association of state boating law administrators okay so and we have a we have a battery in there too that we use for when someone's on a boat things of that nature and because i mean it's kind of hard to do the walk and turn and one leg stand when you're rocking on a boat right so and we do those but we are we are trained to do every one of those mm-hmm. so depending on where we're at i mean if we make a traffic stop on a vehicle say we're out working night hunting or something and we stop a spotlighter and they're drunk we go in and we do our uh, nitsa three test battery horizontal hgn walk and turn and one leg stand but if we're in a boat stop someone then we will do our uh, seated battery which is horizontal gaze nystagmus to hgn we'll do a uh, palm pat finger to nose and hand coordination test so what's your hand coordination test the hand coordination is supposed is what simulates the walk and turn so Mm -hmm. instead of instead of doing heel to toe it's basically fist to fist and you know any of these field sobriety evaluations whether it's the seated battery or whether it's the standard three test battery they're just there to divide that subject's attention is kind of mimicking the driving task or the boating task because while you're driving your attention is not just on one thing, and that's the biggest part of it. You're looking around, you have signs, you have input coming in from other vehicles, you have pedestrians on the roadway, you got to think about where you're going, how fast you're supposed to be driving, all this other stuff. But when we get you out of the vehicle to do that, just standing still, right now you've got a one-track mind. If you're an impaired driver, you're trying your hardest not to look impaired. 
not that, to swerve, it's a one track mind. So, you know, and then these field sobriety evaluations are meant to divide that subject's attention once we get them out of the vehicle or on the on the watercraft, you know, things like that, to simulate or try to mimic those driving behaviors because that's where we were seeing the impairment. It, you know, especially in a traffic stop environment, you may see somebody failing to maintain their lane, striking a curb, all these different things. Their speed may be way above, way below speed following limit. Following too close. Following too closely is another big one. Um, and then you know, once we get them out of the vehicle, they're able to concentrate more on one thing. So these three tests are better at dividing that subject's attention. Again, we give them a set of instructions Then we give them a physical task to actually do. So they're having to think about the instructions. What comes next? What have I done? You know, am I supposed to count out loud? How many steps am I supposed to take? How did he tell me to turn? How did they tell me to turn? You know, those kind of things. So same way when Sean's talking about the seated battery, they have a set of instructions. They have a set of physical things that they have to do to divide their attention and mimic that actually either piloting a boat or driving a car to mimic those tasks. And you got to think about when somebody's driving the boat, there are no lanes. Mm-hmm. There's traffic going every which, every which way. There are proper ways to pass when it comes to boats. But, you know, some of the things we look for, like Brad was talking about, somebody driving down the road, maybe weaving or bumping the line or bumping the curb. We look for folks that the operator's not paying attention. You know, they don't have a proper lookout. Say, you know, an operator's sitting there, he's driving, and he's looking over to his buddy. You know, I'm sitting here looking at Chance, but I'm driving towards you there, Megan. And, you know, that's that's a reason for us to stop them because their attention's not on driving. Mm Mm-hmm. That's one thing we do with boat. We look at with boats and things and, you know, of course, registration, things of that nature, of course. And there's no uh, there's no open container law on a boat. But, you know, if we do see people drinking on a boat, yeah, we're probably going to stop them. And, you know, as long as they've got a sober operator, we have absolutely no problems with people drinking on a boat. As long as that sober operator is actually doing the operating. Correct. Right. Yeah. So what happens if there is no sober operator? Well, whoever's driving the boat's got a little explaining to do, and then they're going to get out and perform. You know, we're going to ask them to put a life jacket on and uh, get over into our boat, and we're going to go through the uh, seated battery. What do you do with the other people? It depends. You know, sometimes we'll actually drive their boat back if, if we can't find someone to come get them. We will actually, one of our officers will hop in their boat as once we get permission from the owner, and we'll drive it over or we'll call a tow service just like they do on the on the road but um and trust me a tow service is not as cheap as not as cheap with a boat as it is on the road (laughs) so chance you talked about yours is a little bit different too and in the recent years the fatalities have gotten higher and is there a reason for that does that have anything to do with duis there is um currently georgia's ranked fourth in the nation for commercial vehicle at fault fatalities and a lot of that does come from DUIs, whether it's alcohol or drugs. But one thing that's different in a commercial vehicle versus a passenger car is a commercial vehicle cannot have alcohol in it whatsoever unless it is part of their load and they have a bill of lading for it. So what, the, what it is is when a driver is stopped, and even if he is found with a case of beer that has not even been opened yet, he is put out of service for 24 hours and the beer is confiscated and placed into evidence, um, as well as drugs, of course, no drugs are allowed in anything, but a driver is also placed out of service for 24 hours for any narcotics found inside the vehicle. Recently, Sergeant Griffin and I and the rest of the training division did an initiative, and we went around the state. And we traveled from February to May and did a eight-hour refresher class on field sobriety the first day, and then the second day we conducted 
a road check. Um, there are nine regions, or there's actually 10 regions in the state, but nine of them are road regions. For each region, we did four-hour road check, and it ended up being we road checked for 39.75 hours. And during those 39.75 hours, we turned out 65 DUIs and commercial vehicles, and only seven of those being alcohol-related. The remainder would be wow. drug-related. Um, as far as drugs, we found anything from PCP to marijuana to any heroin, cocaine, even legal medications. Just prescription medications that someone had legally. I was there on several of those, and, I mean, we we had one guy that we asked him what he had taken. He was taking Laura Tabs and Percocet and, and all. He was drinking alcohol all at the same time, driving an 80,000-pound vehicle down the road. He was taking 1,600 milligrams of Laura Tab a day. That's what he's told us anyway. Yeah, that's a lot for folks who don't. <laughs> yeah, 1,600 is a lot. Yeah. You know, and it's and it's one of those things where a lot of people don't realize, even though you have a prescription for medication, it doesn't mean that you can take it and drive if it's something that affects your ability to do so. Well, that's what they mean by heavy machinery. Yeah, there's an actual section in state law, in the DUI law, that says just because you're legally entitled to have that substance, to, and if it, it doesn't mean that you can just use it and be impaired on the roadways, because that was a defense for a long time. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's a prescription drug. I've got it legally. My doctor gave it to me. And a lot of times you ask, you ever... What did your doctor say anything about not driving or anything or, you know, stay at house if you take it or you, you seen it. One of the things I always like to ask people is what, what the commercial for that one say, you know, like yeah. one of those is like Ambien, right? It's a sleep medication. It says on the commercial, do not take this drug unless you can dedicate this many hours to sleep. Right. But you took it and decided to drive to the Walmart for some They try reason, the same right? thing with us on boats. Yeah. Hmm. And while they're hunting. And it, you so, know, in commercial vehicles, you're talking about an 80,000 pound vehicle versus a 3,600 pound car or 4,000 pound car. Uh, it takes a lot longer to stop that. It does take a lot longer to stop. A lot longer to turn, you know, things like that. So it's even, it, you know, it can be even more dangerous when you're in the commercial and vehicle. And the nurse is going to win every just time. about every time. And I know that you had a few statistics you wanted to share with us based off of that chance. Yeah, out of those road checks that. Just to put it in perspective, not only did we have 65 DUIs and 24 drug recognition expert evals during those, we also inspected 285 commercial vehicles. So out of 285, 65 of them were DUI. It resulted in 427 driver violations and 107 vehicle violations, and 99 of those drivers were placed out of service out of 285. Wow. You know, and not and and not only on some of those, the ones that I was there. I mean, you know, you have all these these new these new things coming out, like kratom, that is legal. You can go to a store and buy it. We had one at at one of the at one of the checks that I was on. I mean, this guy was just torqued out on kratom. He had twenty seven hundred kratom pills. Cool. So, for our listeners that don't know what that is, what is that? What effects does it have on you? It's a plant that comes from Southeast Asia in the Asian area, Indonesia, those areas. It's a uh, it's it's a weird one uh, because it can have different effects based on the dosage that people take. Uh, sometimes it can have a stimulant effect, kind of like cocaine or methamphetamine would have, and then sometimes it can have a really heavy narcotic effect, like uh, heroin or mor- or morphine or something like that would happen. It you know it depends on the dose that they take. It also depends on the person and how it and how it behaves. And you can see some really varied. It's kind of weird. It's one of those strange ones. You can see some varied effects on it. But either way, it's an impairment. It's not yeah, like yeah, somebody definitely. can take it and not be impaired. Definitely impairing. At, you know, especially at certain doses. But it's not illegal to possess. No, it's not. And I think he had taken, 
he took eight at one time and then took six more an hour or two later and i mean he he literally during modified romberg fell asleep wow and we had to wake him up but on the Um, flip side he said he was taking it to stay awake he said that was his energy drink (laughs) yeah but then he goes and does does the three test battery and does fine on it interesting yeah And and it can be a little weird sometimes um you know certain drugs have a tolerance that comes into play you know alcohol you can be tolerant to alcohol to a certain point where you could get somebody out of a vehicle that is acting quite impaired you know you're noticing all these different signs and symptoms and things that you're seeing get them out of the car you check their eyes their eyes you can see hgn all over the place right you get all the clues of hgn well then you put them in the walk and turn one leg stand and they do perfectly it's because they're tolerant to the alcohol and you can get tolerant to certain drugs up to a point like that. But one of the good things about the three-test battery is the first test we do is HGN. And that's something that you can't fake. It, it is, it's involuntary. It's going to happen no matter what your tolerance level is, no matter what. With certain drugs and with alcohol, that HGN is going to be there whether you're tolerant to it or not. So whether, you know, like those people, I've seen people that are upwards of a point two before um, on alcohol, BAC, Walk and turn, zero clues. One leg stand, zero clues, but HGN, six out of six, six clues. Out of six. And they are just tore out of the frame. But walk and turn and one leg stand, not a single clue. And that's just because they've gotten tolerant to it. And, it, you know, they now if they were a point three, point three five, it might start affecting it. But that at that point two where they stay probably all day, every day, you know, a lot of those physical manifestations are not going to be there as, as as badly as you would see with somebody else who's not tolerant to that alcohol to that point Hmm. so what are y'all's recommendations to officers to mccd to dnr how do they look out for these people and make sure that they're not on the roads and harming other people well with motor carrier you know a lot of officers are reluctant to stop big trucks because they don't have the training however a big truck is nothing more than a large passenger car or pickup truck you just got a longer walk to the driver's side so it's basically the same thing with a commercial vehicle. You look for fair to maintain lane, following too close, speeding, any type of reckless driving. Well, you know, general state traffic laws still apply to them, even though they have the federal codes and all those that is things. Correct. So the, the the normal state traffic law that every officer, every deputy is out there enforcing every day still applies to those trucks. And it's one of those things to where I've stopped several of them over the years especially after I went through the advanced traffic law class years ago and, and learned a couple of the commercial codes and things like that that we could look for. But these, these truck drivers are always surprised when a local officer steps up to the, to the cab because, you know, first off, they're like probably wiping their brow. Like, whew, it's not motor carrier, at least, you know, that kind of thing. But, you know, a lot like Chance was saying, a lot of local officers or municipal officers, county officers are reluctant to stop those trucks because they don't think they know why they should stop them or how to stop them or things like that. All the state laws still apply to them. They have to do what normal vehicles have to do. Mm-hmm. And then they have the added federal codes and things like that on top of them. Get that's out there exactly, and stop cars. That's exactly I mean, right. I mean, everything applies to a commercial vehicle. You know, the only thing the local officer has to steer away from is if they don't want to show them their logbook, they don't have to show them their logbook because they can't enforce hours of service rules and different weight class tags and things of that nature. But your Which normal- most local officers aren't going to really know a lot about. Even Hopefully they wouldn't start digging that hole because they haven't been trained very that's deeply into that stuff in the first place. That's exactly right. Yeah, and, and from, from our aspect at DNR as game wardens, I mean, you know, 
unless somebody has a marine unit or something or something like that you know they're not going to get into the realm of stopping boats and things of that nature but i mean if there are agencies out there that have boat ramps in their jurisdictions there's absolutely no problem with them going to the boat ramp if they see one come if they see see somebody drive a boat up then you know they can go up and start talking to them and just like we would if if somebody rolls up on a road check you know you've got to look at that person look at their eyes you know listen to the way they talk what are you smelling what are you seeing you know ask them for you know you're asking them for their driver's license and their insurance all at the same time and they pull out their freaking credit card (laughs) i mean you know on the boat we ask them for you know we've i've seen it on boats before where the operator's there and who's ultimately responsible for the boat just like it is in a car it's the operator Mm -hmm. it's not the owner it's not the dude sitting in the passenger seat or sitting in the back seat it's the one at at, that controls so you know we have a lot of people that try to help their operators get their stuff you know hey guys y'all sit down the operator's responsible let the operator get it so we'll ask for you know enough life jackets for however many people are on the boat we'll ask for their fire extinguisher and you know one thing we do and and a lot of officers enforcing you impaired driving stuff should do is once they start doing the task you just gave them ask them another question you know we'll get in there and say okay hey you got six people on the boat and need to see six life jackets need to take a look at your registration fire extinguisher and a throwable device well as soon as they reach down and grab a hold of that first life jacket start hey how long y'all been out today you know where y'all been well, most normal people that are not impaired, they're going to be like, oh, well, we've been up to, you know, we've been up to the river up there today, and they're going to steadily start pulling the life jackets out. But someone that's impaired, they're going to stop, turn around and look at you and go, well, we've been up so-and-so. Then they're going to forget the task they've done. And that fall falls back to what Brad was talking about earlier with the divided attention. Because yep. you are dividing their attention and an impaired person is not going to be able to perform. They're not going to be able to be able to think and perform those tasks, the psychophysical tasks, you know, if they're impaired. It's one of those things like asking for license and registration at the same time or asking for license and insurance at the same time when you're on a traffic stop. Unimpaired people don't have as much trouble dividing their attention and thinking about those two tasks or answering questions when you interrupt their task or things like that. They don't have as much trouble doing that as that impaired person does because when you're thinking about, you know, as human beings, we're not very good multitaskers. Mm. We feel like we are, but we're not. Um, Our brains are evolved enough to where we can switch between tasks very, very quickly. But we're not great at multitasking, doing two, you know, two tasks at one time. But when you add alcohol, you add drugs on that, it gets even worse. And those impaired people are not able to switch gears like that. You know, they're, they're like Sean's saying, I need all your life jackets. Well, they're doing that. You can ask them a question. They may not even respond. They right. may not even hear you. They may not even pay attention. They may give you a completely, you know, where y'all been today? And they're like, oh, uh, October. You know, I mean, it might just be a totally weird answer. They'll forget to go back to looking. They'll yeah. they'll go on to the mm-hmm. next task. You know, like you said, let me see your fire extinguisher. They'll completely forget about something like the life jackets and go straight to the fire extinguisher because they're concentrating a lot of times. Like I said before, they're concentrating on not looking impaired, so that's impairing it even more. But, you know, with that divided attention, 
issue there. That's what a lot of it boils down to is mm-hmm. just their ability yeah. to divide their attention between that mental and physical task that we give them. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and like Brad said earlier, I mean, that is that is so important when you're operating a boat, operating a, a, a commercial vehicle or operating just a, a regular vehicle. You've got to you've got to be able to do a bunch of things that, at one time and impaired people have problems with that. You know, and we had talked about hunting earlier, and and when you look at the hunting aspect of it, you know, you're sitting. I'm just going to throw out. We're going to talk about a dove field. You know, a guy sitting on dove field. Okay, he's got shots in there. He so what he's got to do, and normally on a dove field, you've got a lot of other people around, so he's got to make sure that bird's up high enough, and he's got to be able to get up there, lead the bird, make the shot. And not come down and shower off on other folks. I mean, that's you know. So it's a, you know, there's there's a lot of multitasking when it comes to hunting, also, and that's why you know that's why we do have a hunting under the influence law, where there's a lot of states you can go out there and be intoxicated and hunt, and as long as you don't shoot anybody, you're good. <laughs> wow. So oh, absolutely, that's what yeah. I said. Yeah, you know, it's a little scary. Well, and, and on top of that, you think about hunting under the influence. I mean, how much of our vision and things like that are distorted by drugs mm-hmm. and alcohol? You may see a person walking through the woods and just not quite recognize them as a person. Think it's a deer. Yeah. And, you know, and it's happened. Yeah. It's happened. So, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But, you know, it's that one-track mind again. You know, uh, uh, typically a lot of times when we're teaching field sobriety, we talk about people who are right at the speed limit. If it's a 55-mile-per-hour zone and they're doing 55 miles per hour on the nose – they're going to be weaving in the lane all over the place. They're going to be making another mistake. Or if they're perfectly centered in their lane, they're going to be 10 miles an hour over, 15 miles an hour over, 10 miles an hour under the speed limit. They're going to be making those speed mistakes, erratic braking and things like that, because they're so concentrating on that one thing that they forget about all the rest of the stuff. And that's one of the things that we kind of look out for a lot of times. And it's it, it, it like I say, it all goes back to that divided attention issue. You have to be able to pay attention to more than one thing at a time, whether you're driving an 80,000 pound truck down a 12 foot wide lane on the interstate, or whether you're trying to maneuver a rifle or a shotgun where you're not going to hit another person with a round that's in the area, or you're just driving that vehicle down to the Walmart to pick something up. You have to be able to pay attention to more than one thing. Right, And a, and a lot of our crashes this year that we've had I mean, we've had two fatalities here in the last in the last couple of weeks, um, and they were all alcohol related. You know, of course, you, you look at boating fatalities. There's not near as many boating fatalities as there are vehicle fatalities, just because of the number of people that operate vehicles on a daily basis. Compa- I mean, you're you're comparing apples to oranges. We have quite a few fatalities. We got lucky last year and only had one fatality, boating related fatality that our reconstruction team worked and that was a two vessel and it, there was no alcohol on that one so we got lucky on that one when you look at the statistics for traffic non-commercial vehicles this year we're at 970 fatals so far this year last year we were at 844 as of today so we're quite a ways ahead i do understand that last year we had some shutdowns going on and fewer people were driving during the first quarter of the year and things like that but to be you know, 130 ahead of where we were last year, roundabout, you know, and, and all of those are not impaired driving, of course, you know, speeding is the most violated law in the state, 
you know, the most convictions, most tickets written every year. You've got your distracted driving. You've got, you know, things like drowsy driving even. You know, the way I look at it is drowsy driving can be more dangerous than impaired driving because even if somebody's impaired, usually they're awake, Right. you know, while they're behind the wheel. They can see things. They can react. It may be slow. It may be impaired, but they can actually see what's going on. So people who are out there drowsy driving, things like that, texting and driving, all this other stuff factors into that. But 970 fatals this year so far, that's just too many. That shouldn't happen in a year, much less in the first seven months of the year. And then, of course, here we are up 100, almost 130 from last year. Yeah. That's, that's that's amazing. Yeah. You know, and we're 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 actually up in our boating fatalities this year. We're sitting, I think, right at four or five boating related fatalities. And of course, when I say I'm not talking about somebody that's on a boat and and they jump off and go swimming and drown, I'm talking about actual, you know, two boats hit something that's that's reportable things of that because with boating fatalities there's a lot of you know we have a lot of drownings on the water i don't know mm-hmm. how many we're probably up in the in the 30s right now for drownings well you guys can have the fatals and things happening from just simple mistakes that driver that correct pi- people make piloting but they hit a buoy or something or drive too close to something and somebody inadvertently falls off, falls off yep. or something like yep. that too and that's just it's never any good i mean how many how many fatals did you say we're at this year so far as far as two boat collision fatalities or somebody getting hit by boat fatalities i want to say we're at three or four well, that's three or four right too now. many i mean i, I agree just, yeah i agree with it's you just, that, it, yeah. it is um way too many drownings mm-hmm. you know we recently you know we had one back on lanier on april the 10th where a guy went in and uh, we pulled him out two weeks ago yeah he had been in 86 days so we were able to bring closure to the family and of course, that one's still under investigation, also. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've we've got, I think I've got three, four boating fatalities right now that are that are still open investigations. So, so let's also talk about some of that training. You know, you've thrown out like DUI. Y'all all said your DRE. What type of training can people go through? Where do they get it? Well, one of the best places to get it is right here in Forsyth, Georgia. You know, we're we're lucky. We're a state that has a full time training staff here. Uh, year round a lot of states don't have that and you know we are a lucky state so we have a full-time traffic training staff here where we teach all the traffic related classes and the first one people normally take is going to be the standardized field sobriety testing class and that just you know we learn a little bit about the the stages of DUI investigation and how to how to watch the cars and how to see things how to talk to the people and then of course how to do the three test battery of course they do get an eight hour block during their regular post training they do for, impaired, uh, yeah. of impaired driving, the impaired driving to kind of give them a it kind of it kind of gives gives them a brief overview mm-hmm. of impaired driving and what you know what they with with your rookie patrol officer going out into the field he's got a he's got a little bit of a mindset of knowing what to look for if someone is impaired driving. So they do yeah. that in, in the regular post training. And in the SFST course, we try to put a little bit finer point on it, you right. know, and then we're, we're actually giving them the testing battery. And then after that, you know, past the field sobriety course, we start to move into the drug world, a drug impairment, and you get your A-ride class. That's the Advanced Roadside Impaired Driving Enforcement class. And you, that's the next step. That's a 16-hour class that we teach, and it's all about drug impairment because now we're seeing so many more people impaired on drugs, whether it's prescription drugs or illicit drugs, things like that, or even things they can just find in the house. There's such a big increase in that over the last few years. So that would be the next step. And then the final step on the state level would be the Drug Recognition Expert Program. And each of you said that you're DREs, right? That's right. Correct. Correct. 
So tell us a little bit about that certification, what you have to go through, what you do, why it's helpful. In my 22 years, that was the hardest class I've ever taken. So uh, I agree with that, Sean. Yeah. A lot of a lot of people say that. I, I like to look at it less as less as hard and more as difficult. I, I see a, 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 it's a lot well, more work. It's a, it, there's a it's, lot of it's work a ton of work. It. it is definitely a ton of work. Um, but in but one, it it's definitely well worth it. Absolutely. Definitely and basically, well it breaks it. down to where we have an application process and interview interview process. And once you're accepted into the class, we have a two-day, the first two days of the basically two-week period um, is called the preschool. And we go through, th- through some things in those two days, and we take a test. If you pass that test, you move on to what we call the seven-day school, which starts the next day. And during that, we do a lot of studying. We do a lot of quizzes. We learn a lot. And, and one of the biggest things about DRE school is the volume of information we talk about. Drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, that's and, exactly and right. And that's the way we talk about we're not going to grab you by the hand or take you by the hand and spoon feed you anything. We're going to grab you by the throat and feed you with a shovel. That's kind of how it works. Um, and so at the end of that seven-day class, we have a test, another test that you take. If you pass that test, you move on to what we call the field certification phase. And we, we go out of town for that, and we visit a place that has a kind of a high rate of drug impairment in, in the local homeless community and things like that. We have volunteers that come in. Each one of our students is required to get 12 field certification evaluations done and to make 12 calls on what drug they see uh, is causing the impairment. And after that, we take a final knowledge exam. And it's a it's a long test. I very mean, you know, exam. it is it, it is a very comprehensive exam. It can take a few hours, and after six that, hours take mine. Yeah, after that, you're actually you're certified DRE. There's no you don't have to wait a certain period of time to go out and do things, and you know, and a lot of people look at the amount of time that we spend in class as daunting, and they don't want to you know you know. But here's the thing. I think it's a certification that anybody can benefit from. They can. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people doubt their abilities to actually get through the class. And we have a wide range of, of student types that come to class mm-hmm. and a wide range of student types that actually pass the class. It's not something where you have to be a nerd, you know, or no, you have you to don't. be a straight A kind of person. You know, you don't have to be the bookworm to get through the class. It, it, it all boils down to the amount of time you dedicate to actually putting in the work to getting it done. It's just like the reconstruction courses. Yep. Some of those are difficult. You know, most of them are difficult. I, I don't want to go through those because, I'm you know, first off, I'm not, a, I'm not a crash guy. That's not my thing. But they're difficult. There's difficult cl- courses in each one of our, you know, jurisdictions of training and everything. So I, I want people out there to know that you can get through the course. You can take the course. You can. It's just you have to put in the amount of work. You can. You, you have to be dedicated. I mean, yeah. it's one of those things. You you're not going to go. You're not going to go into DRE, and 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 expect. Okay, I'm going to go to class for eight hours and. I'm not going to go home and look at anything, come back the next – that's not going to apply. It's definitely not. You're going to have course. to put in – you know, you're going to have to put in the extra work, just as Brad said. You have to be dedicated for it and, uh, you know, to get through it. And, uh, you know, my personal opinion on it is you've got to want it because if you don't want it, you're not going to get through it. Yeah, it's it. definitely not a course that you need to be voluntold to come no, to. No, um, absolutely, absolutely not. Absolutely it's one of those things where you need to have a passion for it. You need to have that drive to get out there and, and hunt and get out there and look for these people. And you can um, say hunt. It's hunt, fine. Hunt. Well, and, you know, DNR is the, the only ones that hunt. DN, DNR is in the house with us. We can say hunt, you know, <laughs> but it's one of those things where you actually have to have that drive to be able to, to go do it. You know, DRE also not only helps you with finding impaired people on the highways, but it helps you become a better officer all the way around. Because you look at people on even calls when you answer calls for service in a total different way. 
I can't even walk through a grocery store anymore. <laughs> or a restaurant. Or a restaurant. You, know, <laughs> you, you look around and you're like, I could do so many evaluations right here in this one restaurant. This is sad. But. You look you look at the world differently. You do. Um, when, once you go through once you go through DRE. And it's it's an attention to detail that we teach, right? And, and that's one of the biggest things is is learning how to be more observant and how to take note of every little thing that we see. Uh, we talk about that even in the field sobriety classes. You know, you, you just don't rely on the three field sobriety test because what happens when those when that person that driver gets out and they refuse to do those? Well, where's your evidence to 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 make a case now? You're going to go into court with nothing. So what we're doing is we're teaching people that attention to detail and that ability to be as observant as possible, notice the small things, the anomalies, the things that don't match, and take note of all of them, not just missing 90% of them or anything like that. So, you know, like I say, I look at it more as difficult because there is a lot of work that goes into it. It's not just the hours, like Sean was saying, it's not just the eight hours we're in in the classroom. Right. You do have to dedicate quite a bit to it afterward. And then after you get out of school, the best DREs in the state are the ones that keep learning. Mm-hmm. And, and it's right. one of those things where it's a, it's a, it's a career-long learning experience. There's still things. I've been a DRE for around 11 years, almost 12 years now, and I haven't stopped trying to find classes. I haven't stopped reading. I haven't stopped watching lectures on this or that or this or that because you want to progress. Drugs are changing constantly. You know, so if if that culture is going to change, why can't we change and adapt and keep you know just well? Evolving? Well, that's one thing we have to we have to keep adapting to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, because if we don't, we're I mean we're behind the eight ball anyway in law enforcement period. So if if we don't if we don't keep up with the changes in society, what you know, whether it be drugs or alcohol or whatever it is, we've got to continue learning throughout that to keep up with that because the as we all know in law enforcement the criminals are always they're always going to be a step ahead of us yep they Absolutely. you know we we come out and work for a living most of them sit around and think about how to get away with stuff for a living you know and i mean that's just we've got to keep changing got to keep rolling and that's you know that's what the i always like to use the term dui rock star in class if you want to be a dui rock star if you want to get out there and actually make the roads safer in a, in a pretty significant way, you have to keep learning. You have to keep up with your studies. You have to keep up, especially with your field sobriety. If it's been six months since you've done field sobriety on a, on a driver, you need to find another officer and go practice a little bit because you do get rusty. Skill. Yeah, it's perishable. You do get rusty at it. There's a lot of instructions that go into it sometimes. There's some timing and there's some you know measurements and things like that. So it's one of those things where you need to keep practicing it. And that's one of the good things about the DRE program is it, it gives us a certification that we, we worked very hard to get. And for the most part, you want to keep it. You have to recertify every two years. So you want to keep it. You want to keep getting better at it. And um, it, it, I don't even think about it. For those of you who don't know what the DRE program is, we could talk a little bit about what the program actually is and what it's for. I look at it as kind of like a Ph.D. in DUI enforcement. It's a terminal degree in a way. We have three purposes. Number one, we look for impairment whether that's in a DUI, BUI, commercial vehicle issue. The second thing is we try to figure out whether that impairment is coming from drugs and alcohol or it might be a medical condition that's occurring at the time, right? We always need to have the health and welfare of the driver or the subject that we're dealing with in mind while we're doing these things. So we're taught a certain amount of things. We're not medical professionals necessarily. Some people are EMTs and paramedics Mm -hmm. that have gone through Mm -hmm. the course. But we do look at the medical side. And then our third purpose is to, you know, if we decide and if we see that drugs and alcohol are on board, we try to find out which of the seven categories of drugs that we talk about is causing the impairment or which combination of the seven categories. We have people that we found that are that are 
we call popping hot on a drug screen, yeah. they'll pop hot for six out of seven categories all at the same time. And they may have four or five drugs per category. We had one in an eval session, and she she came back, I think it was six out of seven categories, and she was taking about 16 different drugs all at the same time. It, it was it was a bad, I mean, just a bad situation. You know, I was screening the person and doing HGN. She fell asleep during HGN, so was snoring. I reached down and checked her pulse, and her pulse rate was like 210, 220, I think. Wow. Sleeping and snoring with a pulse rate of 210, 220 beats per minute. That's 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 difficult to do if you're not being forced to do that by a chemical <laughs> that you put into your body. So that's what we're there. We look for the impairment, then we look for the alcohol and drugs or medical, and then if we determine it's alcohol or drugs, we're trying to figure out exactly which category or combination of categories are there. And we're we've gotten we're pretty reliable. Uh, you know, I think we're up in the 80s, up in the high 80 percentile uh, reliability. Uh, rates in Georgia. So what about the people that have gone through these classes? Would they be able to come back and help out? To a point. One of the biggest things is with, you know, with the road checks and things, I know y'all are always looking for help with those, especially DREs to come out and do evals. Uh, One of the other things is we have instructor level courses for field sobriety. We have an instructor level course for DRE. And that's where we get a lot of help. Uh, You know, here at the training center, there's three of us in our division with the Georgia Police Academy. And sometimes we need help, especially when we're teaching DRE school. We have usually 15 to 20 different adjunct instructors come through during the two weeks of class. And that's one school that we couldn't do it without the help that we right. get from our adjuncts and from other dedicated DREs in the state that have that have put in the effort and gone through the instructor course. You know, if, if there's officers out there that want to, you know, they've been through the standardized field sobriety here at the training center or, you know, or at their agency or whatever, and they want to get, you know, they want to get into, you know, and, and keep those skills up. You know, your traffic enforcement networks throughout the state Definitely. have, they have meetings every month all the way throughout the state. And, you know, go to those. I mean, I've, I've been to them before where there's eight DREs, eight, eight DREs there. It's like a bunch of hyenas. Somebody's like, hey, you know, there's, there's one over here that's, you know, that's been smoking meth. Well, I mean, the DREs like. Yeah, they flock. You know, we'll flock over yeah. to them, you know. And, uh, you know, the Traveling Networks is a great resource. They are. They're a great resource. Um, every region in the state has one. Yep. And, if, and, and another thing, too. You know, if, if you want to do some updates with that, um, the Prosecuting Attorneys Council has, they have trainings pretty much every month. They have a, a six-hour drunk driving or impaired driving. They do one day and the next day they concentrate on drugs. So if you've been through A-Ride, gives you, you know, it gives you a refresher on A-Ride. You know, if, if you're one of the officers out there that, that, you know, you don't use it a whole lot, but you have that training, you know, go to those, and and as Brad said earlier, I mean, it, it's all always learn. Try to try to keep learning. L- you know, go online, do some reading, yeah. listen to a webinar. I mean, there's 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 so many educational opportunities and opportunities to learn out there. And PAC is a good resource. We just went down uh, the state, the DRE state coordinator, and I just went down and presented at their summer conference. They 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 use a lot of our DRE instructors mm-hmm. to teach mm-hmm. other officers throughout the state as well. So the DRE community is a great resource. It's a wealth of knowledge. That's one of the we are here to help the officers in the state. That's what we're there for. It's not necessarily for us to go out and make cases on our own. Or That's a big part of it. DUI. Yeah, we're not going to come take it from you. 
we are there to help you. We're, we're, we qualify as, or can qualify as expert mm-hmm. witnesses in court, you know, things like that. That's where a DRE should be feared when you really think about it. We right. should be feared in feared court in courtroom. when we're actually talking because we can come in on anybody's case and talk about, you know, what went on. We can interpret the, the information you got through field sobriety and things like that. So it's a, you know, all these places you can get training. I know there are webinars all over the place, especially since last year. Mm-hmm. It seems like the webinar community has just exploded over the last 12 to 14, 16 months, especially with the shutdowns and everything. They had to come up with some training that we could do at home. And that's continuing. Even now, we, we get emails constantly about webinars that are out there that are just, it's just more training. You can't, there's no substitution for training, um, in, especially in the DUI world. In the DUI world is a lot like regular law enforcement world. It's ever evolving. You have it to is. continue to learn. Just like when you read a code book, you're not going to go to the academy in 2021 and read the code book, never pick it up again until right. 2032. Laws change. DUI laws change. DUI habits change. And we see it all the time. And the best way to do that is through training. Uh, training, training, training. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and unfortunately for us with, with the uh, seated battery, we don't, you know, we only train our officers right now. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no way unless you have a Marine unit or something like that, they, they normally don't, you know, unfortunately will not offer that, you know, to the general, general law enforcement. You know, that's something that I'd like to see in the future, in the future come along. I agree. So I do too. You know, because I mean, well, it gives it gives like, and a prime example for us. Let's just say, um, you know, how many how many of you out there have have stopped this DUI? And one of the first questions we talk about in standardized in uh, the standardized field sobriety class, you ask them, "Hey, do you have any problems with your knees, ankles, exactly. hips, things of that nature?" Well, fellow looks at me and goes, "Yeah, man, I had you know, I've got an artificial knee over here. I broke my ankle. Man, there's no way I can do that, even even if he hasn't." And I'm like, "Okay, man, I will tell you what, come here and have a seat." And then boom. I mean, you know, for the last twenty something years, when I went before I went to standardized field, before I went to SFST instructor school, if I stopped somebody on the road, I used our seated battery. And I've had officers look and go, Hey, why are you doing that? Because that's what I use every, that's what I use all the time. When I'm on a boat, when I'm in the woods, whatever. So I'd used it for DUIs and never had a problem through that. Of course, you know, further in my training and, and, and my skills and all that. You know, I can, I will go through the, you know, go through the whole thing. And that's what we try to explain to our guys. And I think that'd be one good thing, you know, for, for other officers out there would be to be able to, you know, to have just as a backup, another tool, you know, another, another tool in their belt. It would, it's all about information. So, and I know that sometimes there's a, a bit of a stigma of just the fact that we're just out there to arrest people. We're just out there to pull people over, just, you know, whatever. Our job is to keep the roads safe and keep people from dying on the roads. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the citations and the warnings and the arrests and things are byproducts of us doing our job. Our main goal is to prevent fatalities and prevent serious injuries and property damage and things like that on the roadway. So the more information we can get, the better decision we can make as to what to do on that particular stop. You know, I think any information we can get, whether it's seated battery or whether it's the three-test battery or just a really, really good interview with somebody is yep. great information to get to make that because we we're actually trying to make a good decision for that driver at the time whether they're whether they're unsafe to drive or whether they're safe to drive it's not just like we're just there to i pull a person out of a vehicle or ask them to step out of a vehicle to give them a chance to prove to me that they're still safe to drive mm-hmm. not to see if i can take them to jail absolutely it's a you know that's the mindset that's what we're actually doing we're just wanting them they we're giving them a chance to prove to us that they are safe to drive 
All right, before we finish up, are there any final thoughts you have, any final advice you have for other officers? Be observant. That's one of the biggest things, and that's what I just try to hammer on in my classes is is learn what is out of place. Look for the anomaly. Look for those things that don't match. And those are the things that we use as evidence when we're talking about DUIs. Uh, you know, that's one of the biggest things is be very observant and take note of everything that you see. Attention to detail. I mean, I just reiterate what Brad just said. You know, you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to pick up on the little things, you know, and if you can pick up on those little things to key you into that person of them being impaired, that will definitely help you out in the long run. Absolutely. Um, attention to detail is the big thing and get out of the box. Right. Don't stay within your box and inside your comfort zone. If you stop cars for a living, stop a few semis every now and then. Yes, that is our main focus. However, there's only 230 of us in the state right now. So we could use all the help we could get to prevent these traffic fatalities and crashes. That's great advice. And I just want to thank you all for joining us today. And I think that our listeners will really enjoy listening to what you had to say and they'll learn a little bit from it and maybe they'll get some training too. Thanks for having us. Thanks Thanks for for having us. us. Thanks for listening to Gypstick Between the Lines. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. If you'd like to reach out, email us at learn at gpstc.org. 